0: Welcome to the Capable Civilian Podcast. I'm Alex Fox. My guest today has said that communication is how we get everything we want out of life. Yet most people never take the time to work on their communication skills. Whether you're a leader in the private or the public sector, somebody who's just beginning their career, or just want to be more effective in your interpersonal relationships, communication skills are absolutely vital. Fortunately for you, my guest, Ida Olson, is a professional communication coach. And she's going to share some very practical advice with you. Please enjoy my conversation with Ida Olson. So, Ida, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Why don't we start off by talking a little bit about what you do and the kind of people that you coach?
1: Cool. What I do is I help people to become highly persuasive and powerful communicators in their lives. I get people to get what they need out of their lives, to have really, really great relationships because that's what comes out of it. The people I coach are, you know, it was a surprise to me who I ended up coaching when I first started my business in 1996. I didn't know who I was going to end up coaching. I thought it was going to be people with sort of more speech problems and things, but it turns out it's people who are really good communicators who are trying to get better, to be extraordinary. So what it really comes down to is people who find themselves in anxiety-ridden type situations. And anxiety-ridden type situations are anything that you have to put yourself into in order to succeed in life. And that is literally the morning meeting, (laughs) job interviews, uh, first dates even. You know, this is how we get by in our life. And even saying things that are really kind of challenging to say if you have to deliver bad news. These are all anxiety-ridden situations. And what I do is I teach people how to to communicate in those situations, to get your message across, and to make everybody happy to a fairly well.
0: That sounds like a tall order. How do you approach that?
1: (laughs) The first thing is the person has to want it. So when my client wants it, I've had clients, I've had some people come to me and talk to me about their needs and say they really want to do this, and then I don't hear from them for 10 years and then 10 years, they say literally 10 years has been the limit of the amount of time, but it's been maybe six months or a year or something. Once they have room in their brain and they say, that's it. This is the thing that's stopping me from succeeding. I'm ready to do this. So that's literally half the battle. Once they want to make those changes and say, I'm going to stop undermining myself. I'm getting in my own way (laughs) whenever I'm trying to communicate, then that's when they're ready to do it. And then if you're looking for specifics, I literally have to teach them to relax, teach them to get rid of the tension that's in their musculature, because it's there. It finds itself in your musculature, and it's like kind of just turns on real fast as soon as you get into that anxiety-ridden type situation. And we have to learn how to just eliminate that. And it's normal, because it happens to everybody.
0: I listened to an interview that you gave on a different podcast, The Broad Experience, and I was surprised to hear from uh, another guest on that show that there's opposition to the idea of learning to communicate better, that some people feel like, oh, it's just me. And rather than change anything I do, I just want to make other people accept me the way I am. And you had a very powerful counter to that. Um, Can you describe a little bit about that attitude that you've observed from others and what your opinion is?
1: (laughs) You know, it's it's really normal. For some reason, it's something I've faced for a long time. There's a stigma attached to not being a perfect communicator. And I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if it was when little Johnny got pulled out of class by the speech pathologist in second grade or something, and all the kids pointed or something. I, I don't know why it came that way. But the, the fact is that we need to do everything we can to get ahead in life. So we need to make sure, oh, so what do we do? We go to the gym, we dress really well, we keep ourselves in shape, we do our hair. I mean, we do all kinds of things to con- to continue to improve ourselves, but for some reason, we feel a stigma. And so some people get a little bit defensive. As a matter of fact, I, I get hired by firms. I go into a firm and I have to deal with, say, a team of people or a couple of different teams or something. And there's usually someone, someone that I have to work with who's defensive and who says to me, I don't have to work on my speech, I don't have to do this, and they get insulted actually by their boss. That's crazy to me, but it's always something I have to deal with. As a matter of fact, you know what the bosses do? They're so funny, the people that hire me, they make me tell everybody that this is what we're doing. <laughs> they don't even wanna say that we're doing this, but I've got it nailed down. You know, Most people are like, whoa, this is so cool. I never knew what the problem was. And what I do is I help people overcome that problem. Um, But yeah, so there is that stigma, but the, here's the deal. It has to do with, it has to do with genetics. It has to do with evolution. So we've evolved for so many, for millions of years, and we've got this prehistoric brain that always goes into fight or flight. It's a lifesaver. It has saved our lives and it's really important that it's in our brain. Our world has changed so significantly just over the past couple hundred years, you know, 10,000 years, but. Over the past couple hundred years, we find ourselves in more and more anxiety-ridden type situations, and we are sort of regressing. And what happens is you, you do certain things. You use um, words that undermine you. You, use, you kind of use a lot of extra pauses, and people have a tendency to try to over-articulate. What the problem is with that isn't it isn't aesthetic, this isn't the problem. It doesn't matter if it doesn't sound good to somebody. It only matters if someone can't understand you. If you're not getting your message across, if all of these things that you're doing because of this anxiety-ridden type situation, if all of these things that you're doing and that they do become a habit, if they're standing in the way of people understanding your message, then you cannot be a highly persuasive communicator.
0: You mentioned that these changes have happened in the last couple of hundred years. And you also mentioned in passing that people try to over-articulate and I've noticed that in old movies, even old newsreels, where they're interviewing just the people on the street, um, up through the 1970s, people spoke with much clearer articulation than they do today. In fact, when I watch TV, I turn the closed captions on because it seems like everybody's mumbling, even the professional actors are mumbling and whispering. <laughs> what is it that people knew even a few decades ago that we've lost? Because that anxiety was there. That evolution mm-hmm. was there. So what is it that's changed? Or am I just imagining it?
1: I don't know. I I guess I agree. I do agree with you, but, and I can't really say what's changed, but I could speculate that it has to do with the same stigma that I'm talking about. It's, it was in the old days, remember Henry Higgins and that sort in the old days, it was very important to make sure that you were crystal clear and they took these. So the first thing to do was relax, right? And people used to use relaxation exercises in theater all the time. So important because it actually opens up your vocal mechanism and makes your voice resonate because that's what your voice is, right? it's sound what is sound sound is molecules that vibrate and in this case when people hear you they're vibrating through the air what the voice you hear in your head of course is through bone conduction so it has a much deeper richer sound <laughs> but that's not what other people hear so yeah I guess my answer to that I, I have no idea but I think my answer is it could be that stigma people kind of apply it to themselves and say well if I admit that I'm not a perfect communicator then I mean, by by trying to be a better communicator, it means I'm admitting that I'm not perfect. But the newsflash is that nobody was born a perfect communicator. Nobody. Not me. Not, you know, these really great speakers that we have. They've been working on it. They're probably still working on it to this day. Why would you stop?
0: Absolutely. And the other side of imperfect communication is the feeling that you're not being listened to. You're not being heard. And that can mm-hmm. be very frustrating. And I think mm-hmm. the natural response for a lot of people, especially people in leadership positions, or even if they're doing with their family, is to start shouting. yeah, which creates a whole other cascade of problems. So what's a better approach?
1: Um, you know what I want to back up to the beginning of your question and how people aren't listening. and this is a really huge thing in our society today, and you see it on all the media sites, you know like fast company, people trying to improve themselves. Just let me draw a picture. You're in a meeting. You have this brilliant idea in your head, okay? You want to put this idea out there, and you do. You start talking, you start describing your idea, and somehow it doesn't work. It doesn't go over. Either you've been interrupted numerous times by various people, or nobody really understood it, or and someone else started saying something, and then it's basically your idea, and someone else got credit for it. I mean, this happens all the time, and you you can't say that you're a victim in that situation. You can't say, I'm being victimized, okay? You have to take responsibility and say, I did not make my message clear. What did I do wrong? And this is what I tell my clients. I mean, your recording device is your BFF. Record yourself. Don't get it like it's an electrical shock, like, ah, oh my God, I sound like that. It's terrible. That's what everyone says. I don't like to record myself. But make yourself a scientist And make yourself a better communicator. But anyway, what was the second part of the question? I'm sorry, I forgot. (laughs) Um,
0: A better approach than shouting to try to be heard.
1: Mm. Okay. So one way to determine when someone is really feeling anxiety-ridden and allowing it to impact them is when they start shouting or when they go into like a really high pitch. So, when your pitch, you take your pitch, your baseline average normal pitch, and so whatever that might be, and you take it and you make it really, really high, you're an upset person. Shouting is another indication that you're not dealing with the situation well. When you're dealing with someone who's shouting and you're not feeling that emotional, you should sort of take some some, uh, I don't know, this is my personal opinion, but try to feel empathy for that person and say, you know what, this person isn't, isn't really dealing with the situation very well. The person's feeling emotional. What happens when you're feeling emotional? Physically, your throat closes up. When your throat closes up, you're going to hear all this different stuff from someone. That's why when you talk about law enforcement, they have to listen for that kind of thing. Um, Then they do. That's part of their, their training, I think. Um, When your throat closes up, you lose access to your brain. It's all part of that fight or flight thing. You lose access, I should say, to the prefrontal cortex, which is the modern part of our brain that came, you know, the million years ago, we didn't have that. And we had that simple sort of gut brain where I'm going to react because I, if I'm not with my tribe and I'm alone and the stranger's coming up to me, or even if I am with my tribe and strangers are coming up to me, I have to make a decision right now. Should I run or should I fight? but my life is at stake. When we're in a meeting, we still have that because it's stuck in our brains. Evolution doesn't work that quickly. You know, the day changed and now we're in a meeting and I'm faced, facing with strangers, but this evolution takes a while to change for us to be able to make a nice cognitive decision. Like, hey, I'm really safe here. Everything's okay. Cognitively, we kind of know that, you know? And did you ever walk away from a situation? You're like a little bit upset and then you walk away and you go, I know what I could have said. I have the answer to that. I'm perfectly well-equipped to deal with that. Why did I not react as well as I could have? And that's what happens when this, these anxiety-ridden situations, when we find ourselves in those situations.
0: I think almost every guest that I have on this show brings up that idea that stress limits our performance in every aspect of life, whether it's, as you're saying, whether it's communication or whether it's a, a personal safety type situation, people think that they know how they're going to react because they can do it when they're calm. But as mm-hmm. soon as the stakes are higher and whether it's, as you say, like a, a low level type of anxiety in a, in a professional setting, or if it's a life or death situation, the stress makes you stupid. And exactly. I think people don't ah, understand I never that.
1: i said it like that. That's
0: awesome. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's a point that I think can't be made too often that idea that stress, no matter how smart you think you are, or how good you are at something, stress is gonna knock 90% of your ability off because it reduces your coordination, your reasoning ability,
1: everything. It's so true, it's so true.
0: Some of uh, my other guests have spoken about um, the idea of verbal de-escalation, that is using words to resolve conflict, whether it be mm-hmm. with a child, an employee, or a belligerent guy at a bar. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how the voice itself can have a calming or a provoking effect aside from what you say, how you say it.
1: It's a huge part of it. Huge part of it. Your voice and how you sound. So people don't, don't necessarily listen to how they sound. They just hear themselves on a recorder once in a while and say, I hate my voice. Hashtag it on Twitter. You'll see a million people hate their voice. You can change your voice. And it's so important. I did. I changed my voice okay um so you know like let's say you have this voice and I want to go in and I want to say hey guys how are you am I going to be taking taken seriously not so much and you know what your brain isn't saying isn't necessarily it could be but it isn't necessarily saying oh hey I don't like her voice I'm not going to listen to Ida because I don't like her voice but your part of your brain back here is saying you know Uh, I can't really process that information. Processing is of the utmost importance, but let me go back to answering your question. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So if you have a voice that's really rough and really like this, you're putting people off and you don't even know it. You're making people kind of on guard. Once you learn how to use a voice that's very full, very resonant, that's soothing. It's soothing. You know what I'm saying? You can really make people calm down just with your voice.
0: For people who are in, let's say, a really challenging situation, whether it be law enforcement or security, or even just um, dealing with somebody maybe at work who's a a disgruntled employee or what have you, Mm -hmm. what are a few things they can keep in mind to try to tap into what you just described to have that soothing effect on a difficult situation?
1: Well, I have to say they have to kind of train a bit in advance. You know, you have to train yourself to learn how to be relaxed in challenging type situations. But yes, once it, what they have to do some relaxation exercises, they have to really master abdominal breathing it's of the utmost importance. And then, but even if you have mastered it in certain regular situations in your life, and all of a sudden you're in this scary situation, all of a sudden your breathing comes up, you know, shallow breathing, they call it, and your tension creeps back in. What they have to do is, and I know this is so cliche, right? Take a breath in. But you really have to take a breath in and you have to open your throat. That's the secret, is opening your throat. And then let your voice take a ride on the air. That's really what speech is and should be. And if you use that voice in that situation, it has a really kind of a cyclical effect on you you too. So when you're starting to relax and you're starting to breathe, you're like, oh, wow, I'm feeling better. Okay, now I have access to my brain. You know how those couple of seconds of having no access to your brain for a second, you're like, what's going on? (laughs) And then you take a breath and you're like, okay, now I'm calm. I got this.
0: You mentioned that most people hate hearing recordings of themselves. And uh, personally, I found that since I started following your advice for listening to you and, and reading your material that you put out, a tremendous amount of material for free, um, I'm more satisfied with how I sound on this podcast because I'm really thinking about how I'm speaking. But when I hear myself in other settings, like on voicemail, I still cringe so how long does it take for the techniques that you're talking about to become something that is habit, that's unconscious?
1: It's a, it's different for everyone, and I'm, I've had people who've done it in literally two sessions. Okay? It could take six months. So... What you do is, so say your voicemail is the next thing that's really bugging you. So you can sort of master the podcast thing. Now you're feeling comfortable and you're like, oh, I can use my nice voice and I can use these techniques and it's great. That's the only thing to do. You can't just say, okay, here's all the technique, techniques that's Eda's, that Eda's teaching me and I'm going to infiltrate it throughout my entire life. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. When I do invent the magic pill, you'll be the first to know. But, um, but you choose little categories. So your next category is, is voicemail. So what you have to do is get friendly with your recorder, listen to yourself, and really make it the worst. Make your first production the worst, I always say that. And then listen for the things that are problematic and that you don't like, or the pitch went up here it shouldn't have. Oh, I didn't glue my speech together. Thank you for calling, Alex. (laughs) Please leave a message. Oh wait, that's boring. I didn't use the right intonation or something. It sounds choppy. Uh, So you master it and you practice it and you do it a few times, or you're saying leaving voicemails for other people. Yeah, exactly. So you can practice it in advance. I hope it doesn't sound tedious. It doesn't take much time. A few times of practicing it in advance and you're done forever. Hmm. You can always leave an amazing voicemail.
0: When I was in high school, one of my friends would always make fun of my voice. He would he would, he would his parody of me was the, 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 the.
1: I don't even know what that means. <laughs>
0: it, well, it, 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 it's just a sound. It's just a monotone sound. So uh-huh. I mean, that's, and then when I hear myself, even today, right, tw- so many years later, I still hear that kind of like blah, 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 as the as the thing. So um, <laughs> anyway,
1: you know, it's so funny the harm that people can do with like one thing. It's so crazy, and we're so impacted by this.
0: But I think you get more. You get more accurate feedback when you're young and your people around you aren't necessarily worried about hurting your feelings because it's like having kids because your kids will be honest with you. Like if you if you smell bad or you look bad or you sound bad, your kids will tell you Um, the people in your life normally at the office or whatever. They'll just kind of um, politely ignore it. So um, you have a, a free ebook, which I think everyone should go to your website and download. It's called nine secret steps to influencing others. And you discuss a variety of techniques for building relationships through conversation. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned relationships a few minutes ago as well. Now, for people who are in a a leadership position and looking to improve the effectiveness of their communication, which of the nine steps that you cover would deliver the most bang for the buck? Because they're all valuable. But Mm -hmm. where where would you say, and you've already mentioned the relaxing, where would people kind of start?
1: Right. The number one thing for a leader to remember is that his presence is felt by everybody, whether he speaks or not. And I'm talking about body language, I'm talking about facial expressions, and I'm talking about his mood, what he emanates. So, or she, let's say she. Thank you. Um so you ever sit in a meeting and the boss is grouchy, the boss comes in and it's like rah, 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 you know, everyone's like all tense and this is not a good working environment. But when the boss comes in and Has her arms open, has a smile on her face, warmly greets people, and says, though, you know, whatever it is, if you're in the elevator or you're in the meeting, something, you have to give those people that respect and you have to make them have that open feeling. The more open your body is, you know, obviously within reason, the more open you are and the more open your listeners are, your communicative partners, the other people that are there with you. I sort of want to disassociate. I, I do communication skills, but being able to persuade people is is a skill. And it's so important. It has a lot to do with your communication skills, but it has a lot to do with what you're doing with your body. I always say, what's your body doing? What's your face doing? Because your face and your body, like sometimes if you look at yourself on a video and you see, like, why are my shoulders up so high or why am I scowling? you don't even know you're doing it. All of this is a big part of being able to influence other people.
0: And I know that also you coach your clients on writing as well. It's not just speaking. And you just mentioned body language and and posture and so on as
1: well. We do writing in a way because I do writing because of how it impacts your speech. So I teach people to figure out what is the pith? What is the most important part of what you're saying? I teach people how to bullet it how to decide where to breathe and and how to make it come out so that people really process the information. So that's why it's really important that we do a little bit of writing. But here's the deal. When you're not following these rules, my very important rules, you can, you run the risk of people not understanding your message. And when you, when you have people not understanding your message, when you are speaking, you are not persuasive. You lose the ability to persuade people because they didn't understand you.
0: You mentioned bullets too. And that reminds me very much of, um, crisis communication because I've worked somewhat with crisis communication training and they usually, people have different approaches, but usually it's like, find your three bullets that are going to be your points and keep coming back. No matter what the question is, come back to those bullets. Mm -hmm. Um, is that, am I right? Am I on the right track here? Or is yeah, I okay.
1: love that. I didn't know that, but I love it. That's exactly it. It's you have to bullet your speech. And people just have way too many details. That's another problem. And people are coming out with all these details. And then it's really hard for the listener to follow along. And especially in this day and age, we have so much coming in at us. You know, we have to, you have to be as crystal clear as possible.
0: And people are so used to hearing this. I think they don't even realize it because whenever a politician is interviewed on TV or a high level executive, they always do that. Whatever the question is, the the question could be like, we, 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 we hear that you're laying off a million people uh, for Christmas. Uh, What's your rationale for that? And they'll, they'll pivot. They're like, the real issue here is the economy. The economy, so but, and and then they'll have whatever it is they want to say, and they'll always. Exactly. Put, and the journalists, right? I mean, they're not gonna, you know, you can't you can't follow up. It, like that, the, the soundbite is he's talking about the economy. It doesn't matter what the question was. Bill right. Bill Clinton was amazing at this because yeah. even under the the most rigorous cross examination, he would simply say what he came out to say, and it would be sound very persuasive, and so warm and i mean he was was there ever anybody better than bill clinton in our era in terms of this kind of communication skill and persuasion i
1: just don't think so i don't think so i don't know though i have to look into it more but he did so many things right first of all he remained completely relaxed if you looked at his musculature he was totally relaxed he's abdominal breathing and he used language the funny thing about being a really good speaker is everyone thinks you have to be articulate. Articulate just means getting your message across. doesn't mean using over-articulation. Okay? So what what Bill Clinton did was, you know, it's so funny because your mother always said to you, don't say coulda, shoulda, woulda. And what we need in our speech is shoulda, coulda, woulda. Hmm. When you glue the words together, those sound perfect, and they give your listener all the information you need. If you go back to this tape and listen to me talking and you kind of stop it at little places you'll see that I used shoulda coulda woulda or gonna I don't know if I did or not but what you have to do is you have to break down some of the words that aren't important and don't give your listener a lot of information and you have to push out on the parts of the words that do provide your listener with a lot of information and that's how people can follow along and Bill Clinton was really quite good at that
0: so since we're naming names Uh-oh. and I, w- I wasn't going <laughs> oh, to no, I'm in trouble. but how can you have Bill Clinton be such a good communicator? and Hillary Clinton come across as so hostile and so divisive. And that's somebody who at the top of her game, I mean, she's running for president. Surely she had access to coaches like you. Were people not telling her to moderate her speech?
1: Do you know, I tweeted her a billion times, let me help you. But um, she, she had access, she had a coach, and um, I don't know how much she used the coach. I, I think I heard it more from the coach than I heard from her, but, you know, from anyone else. What she did, uh, she used so much tension in her throat. She talked it right in her throat. You can hear what I'm doing right now. I am talking in my throat. The more you do that, it's called vocal abuse, and it damages your throat. The more you do it, so she kept, had those coughing fits. I don't know what that had to do with, mind you, but, and she had so much like really, tense tenseness in our and it puts people off. We can't help it. you can try to be as objective as possible, but when you hear someone yelling at you like that, you can be put off. you know?
0: In fairness, there have been a lot of articles about how in in business settings and public speaking settings, men and women are perceived differently based on the level of assertiveness in their speech, right? The right. general observation is that men are seen as strong and forceful when they're assertive, but women are seen as unpleasant or hostile, right? The the nasty woman syndrome, right? Right. What advice do you give women and men in order to mitigate that prejudice? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I always tell, well, I tell my my female clients who I really want to get ahead. uh, I tell them, you know what? We might have to go the extra mile. I'm not, I'm not the first one to ever say this. We have to go the extra mile. We have to work a little harder. Perhaps it's been said. There's been studies that a deeper pitch is easier to to follow along with. Okay, but the other thing is you have to open up your resonance. You don't. You can lower your pitch a little bit. In, you have to find your optimum pitch is what mm. you have to do. You, in finding your optimum pitch, you have to do those relaxation exercises and open up your throat. And then you'll get your optimum pitch, which is pretty much guaranteed to be a bit lower than the one that you're using. But there's another thing that you have to do, and that is to find, use an open resonance or like a full resonance. So a full resonance is really Letting the air vibrate inside the back of your mouth, and then people have an easier time understanding you. You can't just be the victim. Yes, we can acknowledge that there might be some uh, preconceived notions or prejudices that are out there, and but we, if they, if it's true, we still have to. Pr- you can't just say, okay, I'm going to let that stop me.
0: Now, when you say lower your pitch, surely, especially female clients, may come back to be like, all right, I'll just talk really with oh, no, the don't glottal do fry oh, and
1: No, no, no. <laughs> So, when I was in my young 20s, I was starting my business and I realized, oh, I can't uh, talk like I am talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do an imitation of myself. So, you know, I had a higher pitch and I would go up at the end. And here I am hanging out my shingle and saying, I'm going to teach you communication skills. I'm going to make you into an amazing communicator. Well, okay, back to the books. I'm going to work on my own voice. And that's what I came to. I and mean, we learned relaxation exercises in undergrad and in grad school. And, but I had to really take it seriously at that point because my that was when I took it seriously was when my business was at stake. My future was at stake. And I had to do this job to a fairly well. So I learned to open up my throat and learned to relax my, the tension in my musculature, which, of course, manifests itself in any human being that's existing on the planet. We face things that are difficult and then our muscles get tense. And then we go to a masseuse and we feel all better for about 15 minutes and then (laughs) it creeps up again. But what I do is I teach people to get rid of the tension from the inside so that no matter where they are and what comes at them, they can be relaxed and have access to their brains.
0: In the previous interview that I listened to that you gave, you had a great story, which you just mentioned in passing about a client who had taken your advice and came back to you and say, I can't handle the power. People are doing whatever I tell them to do. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: It's so crazy. I. It's so crazy. So... This actually happens a lot, but this one woman in particular, she was like little past halfway through a program and she was literally, people were doing exactly what she said. It was, she was like, she didn't know what to do with herself because she, what do we want to do? I don't know why. I don't understand it. What do we have? A fear of success, a fear of failure. It's out there. People are talking about it, but we do get in our own way sometimes. And so she had to overcome that. It was crazy. It still is. It's crazy.
0: So, to what degree can people improve their own speech sort of on their own by reading your website or books, whatever? And what is the benefit of working with a coach such as yourself?
1: So, the benefit is self assessment. So, the point is, you have to know specifically what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. So, the the more people do on their own, the less they need me. That's amazing. Now, I absolutely love that. I love to see a client for two sessions and they really nailed it. I've got the products that they can use and go along with them. There's the blog. I give so much information, as you said. It's crazy because everybody in the world needs my services and I'm not going to be able to work with them all. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, the one thing is if they can hear what they're doing wrong, if they can go in and objectively start recording themselves, and go into my blog and say, okay, here's the thing I want to work on. And then they so I'm going to work on something. Listen for my myself, and if I'm doing these things wrong, then they can do it on their own. It's a matter of having some real determination. Um, but otherwise, some people need some help. But the more you do on your own, the less you need from me.
0: You recently posted an article uh, encouraging teachers to continue show and tell uh, in their mm-hmm. classrooms as a way to give children more practice with public speaking. What are some things that parents can do outside of school to help their kids? speak more confidently and to be more effective communicators
1: cool cool I just want to say I find it to be so upsetting I'm very very upset that I have this many clients I'm very very upset that we are all in this situation we are all in this situation I had to go through all this myself Um, and so you look at it and you say okay I went through all these years of education and I'm now on a job interview and I'm at a loss for words or I'm stammering and I'm not getting my point across how did this happen How did this happen? So someone like you went to Montessori and you were trained to be an amazing communicator, but we didn't have that, I didn't have that, and most kids don't. What parents can do at home is play games with their kids. What I call is show and tell, continue show and tell. I think in schools they should continue show and tell. There should be show and tell every week. Have a kid come up there and explain something. Having that self-confidence is probably the best thing we can do. Think of my client who has people listening to her and all of a sudden she wants to shrink back into her shell. We need that self-confidence and it needs to be trained within us, okay? Um, so what they can do is I'll sit around every evening at dinner or once a week on Saturday or whatever works for you and talk about something that you own, something that interests you, a movie you saw, a book you read, anything. You can play little games. And if your kids don't want to participate, well, then the parents do it first a few times. Once the parents start doing it a few times and playing the game and making it fun, the kids get right in right? Um, And that's the kind of thing. And as the game progresses, and your kids get really good at it, then start adding new, new challenges to the game, you know, make it like you can only say the facts, or you have to add your feelings or, you know, anything, just anything to get them talking and describing stuff.
0: To what extent is there a gender gap with this? Because I've, I've seen articles that describe sort of a phenomenon where girls in school do really well up until about adolescence, and then, as you said, they want to shrink into their shell. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's their peers or the environment, or what is that, and how do we as parents and, and potentially as educators help mm-hmm. to resolve that?
1: That is a problem. It's something I've been aware of for a long time, but I, I can't speak to the solution of that. I, I would like to get involved and find out what that solution is, and I'd be happy to, to work on it with anybody who'd be interested in finding out, you know, how to fix it. You bring up an amazing point. It's something I've always been aware of. We really excel until we're 12. (laughs) I was the smartest in my class, (laughs) you know?
0: So you mentioned that a lot of people speak with tension in their throat, which gives them a higher pitch. So what are some of the relaxation techniques that are a start for folks? And obviously you're not going to do your whole coaching session, but... What are just a few simple things? Is it breathing? What is it that...
1: Breathing is a part of it. Um, one of the things that I do with my clients, and that's that they've been around for many, 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 many years, is tensing and releasing exercises. The reason you do tensing and releasing exercises is to train you to actually find tension. <laughs> They're not trying to train you to create tension, but you. what happens is we walk around the world not knowing that we have tension in our musculature. Okay, And my focus is here on the vocal mechanism, And when you walk around, and then all of a sudden you have an injury in your shoulder and you're like, well, you should have known that injury was coming up, okay? right, you can't move your head and you're like, oh God, I have this huge knot in my shoulder. Well, that knot has been building (laughs) and you didn't know about it. So that's the problem, is that we have to find the tension that's in our musculature. We have to learn how to eliminate it. So one of the things you can do is uh, tensing and releasing exercises. So tense up the muscles of your throat and then let it go and try to feel the difference between the tension that you created and the absence of tension that you feel when you let it go. And really focus on that. And every time you do it, you should find a greater and greater distinction between that tension and that that release of tension, that relaxation. One of my things I say to my clients is that, uh, this is a little crazy, but uh, you want your muscles to feel like they're just hanging down like meat on a hook. <laughs> so that's a vivid very...
0: analogy. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I'm from New York. We had meat on a hook uh, in the meatpacking district in the old days.
0: It makes me think <laughs> of Rocky punching the slabs of beef in the, that was Philadelphia. But was, yeah. So here's something else that I've, I've found that some people seem to suffer from this more than others. And that's mouth noises, you know, especially on words like cookie, you get that, that popping sound. And I found that I, I noticed that in myself, uh, less when I'm trying to speak in the back of my mouth as you prescribe. But some people seem to really suffer from that. What is, where does that noise come from? What is it?
1: Hmm. You know, I don't know. It sounds a little like saliva and you want to do kind of a testing thing and find out what's going on. Maybe you need to drink more water. Maybe you need to drink less water. Maybe you need to swallow a little bit more. As a speech-language pathologist, we had to go through swallowing courses, too. They're, it's really important. <laughs> you have to get everything down, mm. you know, including clearing your throat. You don't want to clear your throat, and you can actually – I train my clients to stop clearing their throat. Mm. I teach them to get rid of whatever it is that's causing them to, th- to clear their throats, and you would have to eliminate it. And then you can go clearing your throat free. But you know people who are just about to speak, and then they – Clear their throat, I'm not gonna do it, but and they need they kind of rely on that and you can get rid of it.
0: So how can people find you if, if somebody wants to improve their communication skills or they want to at least read a little bit about uh what you've offered, how can people find you online?
1: They can find me just about anywhere. You can go to my website at conveyclearly.com. You can find me on Twitter as at ConveyClearly, I'm on YouTube. <laughs> Um, I think that's convey clearly, I don't even know what that is, but I think if you Google Ida Olson, you'll find me, um, I'm on LinkedIn, and you can text me. So if you go to my website, ConveyClearly.com, and you go to the Contact Us page, and you see the little 310 number there, that's my cell number, and text me, hey Ida! Let's chit chat. Let's set up a Skype session. And what I'll do is I'll listen to you talk. I'll analyze your needs and I'll listen to your goals. And then we'll design a program for you short or long, whatever you want. And then I'll make you sound amazing and become highly persuasive.
0: That sounds fantastic. Well, Ida, thank you so much for your time. I want to be respectful of your day and you have got clients waiting on you. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
1: It's an awesome podcast, Alex, and thank you so much. It's an honor.
0: Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. You can find show notes and links at CapableCivilian.com, and you can let me know your thoughts through the Capable Civilian Facebook group or on Twitter by following at Capable Civilian. Until next time.